Hello and welcome to Aquarium Dilemmas. I'm your host, Science Gal Aquatics. I'm Carrie and this is my co-host, Jesse. And welcome. Thank Hi. you for tuning in for another wonderful episode and another wonderful kind of, not really a dilemma, I would say. It's just kind of a fun topic to talk about. And that's the the why and the how of wild collecting from our point of view. We are by no means experts, but it's really fun to go out to a local place and see what kind of goodies you can find. You can't always, we don't always bring them home and highly recommend researching your rules in your area. But we're lucky that we get to go find some really awesome goodies. But here lately... When it comes to fish, we'll kind of hand catch some things and have, you know, a good time looking at it and kind of seeing what's around. And then we toss them back in. Well, but and hopefully to the goodies of rocks and things like that. Yeah, there's all kinds of things you can find. Well, hopefully your location, your area, like we're really blessed here in yeah. the Midwest. We have creeks and little streams and things everywhere some hidden little treasures just around the corner <laughs> so there is people out there that may not have that yes Carrie. it's so oh 100 but, but it's still fun to, even if you can't get anything now that i'm aware of what's out there even just going on a, a little walk with the kids or the dogs i might not be collecting anything but it's fun now just to keep your eye out Oh, yeah. Well, especially when it comes to, like, rocks and even mm -hmm. wood and things like that that can go in the tank. Yeah. Even on a good hike. I know there's a lot of areas that have really good hiking. Yeah, and there's some really surprisingly specialty stores in certain areas and online that if you can't collect in nature, you sure can find some goodies collecting online <laughs> when it comes. To, they're sometimes expensive, but I mean, kind of going back a little bit, I, like I've said numerous times, I've always, in the beginning of fish keeping, I was just, I didn't, I was just unaware that you could find stuff outside and put it in your tank. Why that never crossed my mind, I have no idea, but I had the the aquarium neon gravel with the plastic plants for a long time. And it did work. My my tanks did fantastic. But once I started doing the YouTube thing and I discovered a community online, I, I, I really don't know. It's probably embarrassing to admit that I just didn't give it any thought. But now that I've seen a world of more natural scapes and things that kind of, for the most part, the best you can represent the more natural environments that some of these wild-caught fish come from and you would like to keep them and recreate it. They're very beautiful, and I've gotten into it probably the last five or six years a lot more in depth, and I keep my eye out for hidden little gems that I can bring to the tanks, and even the kids like to collect rocks to bring back. But it's just amazing how many things that you can find online or just out on a stroll somewhere cool that you can bring back. Well, that that was my point of bringing that whole topic mm -hmm. up right there is whether you have access to conservation areas, nature areas where you can go and walk and mm -hmm. hike and you have streams and this and that just to get out into nature mm -hmm. and Start to see stuff because you're 
trying to recreate and build that inside of a box. Yeah. And, and it gives you a little more of a thinking topic in your own brain of, okay, well, no, no wonder maybe I'm not giving this fish or this whatever. If you're into reptiles or turtles or whatever it yeah, is, you're, you're not giving it its best environment or home. If you're out in nature looking at it, it mm-hmm. kind of plays with your mind as you're like, oh, okay. And then you start thinking about mm-hmm. it. Well, this is why this works. This is why this doesn't work. Mm-hmm. There's there's a reason Mother Nature does everything it does. Everything has to be in balance mm-hmm. one way or well, the other. And I've learned through just keeping more tanks through the years and hopefully gaining more experience that the slightest little change can make a huge difference. Like, I am not going to lie. I'm really good at I'm at growing algae. I'm a full-fledged certified algae growing person. You are a green water <laughs> queen. But just sometimes when I, I'm not going to lie, sometimes when that does get a little overgrown, that's when the fish breed the most. I had trouble breeding my carry tetras. I let that tank get kind of full of algae a few times here and there. And that's now we have, I will have to say it's one. But it's one baby fry. So sometimes, or maybe adding some gravel that's a little, not like gravel, but some larger pebbles. Maybe the eggs, if they're egg scatters, can kind of drop in between those pebbles a little bit more. Or adding leaf litter, some just simple little dried out brown leaves to the bottoms of tanks can help certain fish breed. Or adding some floating plants that you found can with certain fish help them breed. So it can be such just a small little detail of adding something. Sometimes in my case is an afterthought that I was like, oh, I found this and I think this would look cool here. And then sometimes it helps things. Or if I find a cool driftwood piece and I have a pleco, it works good in that tank. So it's just sometimes you don't, for a long time I was just, and it's not a bad thing to just use fish store stuff, but the tanks have just overall done a lot better for just adding certain things as simple as just some pebbles to certain tanks. Well, half the fun is finding the stuff. Yeah. It really is. And it's really enjoyable to be able to go out and get something and use it. Mm-hmm. And, and like you said, even solve like a little problem uh-huh. or dilemma, so to speak, that you were having in your fish room, like you said, about a hiding spot or... You needed some more cover for the fry or anything like that. I like finding like medium-sized little rocks and building my own little cavey spots. Do they look overly fantastic? No, probably not. But they look cool to me to have some rocks that me and the kids went and found. And we built a little rock cave. And it looks cool for us. So it's just, it's whatever you prefer, but... Sometimes those hidden gems that you find with that special little story for your tank is the best ones ever. Yeah. And for everybody out there, when we go and do this kind of stuff, we usually do it in the spring, summer, and fall. I will have to say, though, before you say this, one of the side effects of multi-tank syndrome is seeing everything with fish tank eyeglasses. Once you get bit by the multi-tank syndrome bug and you start keeping multiple tanks, one of the good side effects of this is anything you go and look at and see, whether it's kitchen-related, fish room-related, going to the creek river, 
or crick in some cases, whatever you prefer. The the side effect is you will Are, are we going to go with the word crick? Are, are we going with the know, word crick? Are we doing the whatever. Ozark thing? I doing the Ozark. Creek, but anyway, the joke is, I'm trying to be funny, is that you do see things. Everything is how it will look good in a tank. But continue. Yes, we do go. There, we have a spot that's really close that's a natural spring. So it's cold. It's cold. It's ice cold year-round. But on those 100-degree days in the summertime, or even those hot spring days, it's nice to go find some hidden magical treasures at that spring. Because it's, it's cold. Well, and... It's like angle deep. And the other fun part about it is, for the people out there listening and listening to this, it's cheap it's inexpensive it's a fun way Mm -hmm. to still be in nature get your family all involved as far as the kids just love to go and splash around in the water yeah there's always a period though and granted we'll talk about what we hear probably in a second what we bring and there is far more professional goodies that you can go buy than what we use but what we use works for us and it's fun especially for the kids because we do bring a bubble bucket, which is just a bucket with an air stone that has a battery pack in it. So as long as you have some kind of bucket, or I know you have a minnow bucket. It's yep. like a bucket within a bucket, but the inner bucket's got holes in it. Yeah, so you can set it in the, <laughs> in the water, water and let the water run yeah. through it so you don't have to have but all that aeration the whole time. Like going to the fish shows or going out of town, bringing a battery-powered USB, however... You bring along air pumps. Some form of portable air, air pump. Is This is a good occasion for it. And they have some fancy nets out there. And I know we have some wild-caught mosquito fish that your uncle caught for us to start our little colony. And now it's it's grown a lot. But that was a fish that is wild-caught that we did not we did not catch with aquarium nets from the fish room. But we do bring... A handful of aquarium nets of various sizes in our bubble bucket. And we go out there. And like I said, the water at our favorite place, it's got some current to it. But it's not deep. It's only to our ankles. And there's some little little fish, some hog mollies. Or like, they remind me of plecos and some perch or some sunfish. However you know them as. That get probably no bigger than the size of my hand that we can catch with these. And there's usually some people out there that have kids that their kids want to come up and have a net and try and we put them all in that bucket and then we just kind of have fun trying to figure out what they are there's usually a lot of crawdads or crayfish i call them crawdads and they're fun to catch because they only swim backwards but they do pinch if you're not careful but it doesn't really hurt but there's some just fun times that we don't keep things as much as we did in the past we usually just let them go at this point because there's some things that we've learned do okay and some things that just don't do okay and some things that do really well, but you need a lot of space to house them, like the largemouth bass we had in the past. That was one of the coolest fish I've ever kept that was had a huge personality that I did not expect. And it came from your son at your parents' little pond. But I would say we both surprisingly got a kick out of that. Yes, that a was a that was a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful fish. Mm-hmm. 
Did it need to be housed in a very large setup? Yes. yes. Yes, it was a really cool fish. And unfortunately, we moved it outside in the pond, and we have large dogs, and it's a sad ending that you can just... <laughs> yeah. And the sunfish are perched. They did really well, too. And they did... They lived for... I don't even know. A couple years, probably. But we moved them outside to give them more room. And then... Along with the dogs. I think that one was... We have some pretty large birds out there. <laughs> and every once in a while you see a bird in the pond. And I don't know. I feel like that had something to do with it. But who knows. But they're definitely one that are awesome and to keep. And we had them for a while. But they need a lot of room. So we don't keep them anymore. If we do catch them, we toss them back. But it's just really fun to go try to... See what you can find, what you can catch. Well, the the catching of the fish part is more about identifying them and mm-hmm. talking about whether we should take it home or not, really. Yeah. But as far as the, the rocks, driftwood, things like that, that's all an easy way and cheap mm-hmm. for you to expand your hobby and your knowledge yeah. exponentially so- just <laughs> Playing around. Yeah, and that's another reason. A five-gallon bucket will be your friend for life if you're a fish keeper. So you need to have a little bubble bucket that you can, if you want to keep something that's alive, that you can keep. And then you need a five-gallon bucket for all your finds that are rock-related and driftwood pieces. (laughs) Unless you're you're like me, and then when you're looking at driftwood, you don't look for the small stuff. My mind wanders, and I start looking at, like, four-foot pieces. I just try to find whatever I can find. And usually, I just... I don't have any rhyme or reason when it comes to driftwood. I don't look for specific things. If it's a large piece, a small piece, a cool piece, or a boring piece, I just like driftwood. And usually, it's kind... Like... I don't want anything that's sticky or has resin on it. Those I do... I. I don't get, but if it's kind of an old weathered, they're usually kind of hollow, just old looking wood piece. Chances are I'm going to bring it home. (laughs) Depending on the size, unless unless it's me. And then I'm usually picking up the biggest Uh piece. But when it comes to materials, there's all kinds of things out there that you can bring that makes your life easier. If you want to go specifically for collecting, but Buckets, nets, and something to supply air is what I recommend you bring. You can bring other things if you want, but bare minimum and snacks. Because it's going to be a long day in the sun. You need to stay hydrated for when you're collecting all these goodies, you know, and some water. But that's usually... And we always wish that we had something at the time, I'm sure. But that's the bare minimum. That's what we bring. Well, for us, the other thing that is... A good pair of old tennis shoes or water shoes. Yeah, around here it's real rocky. I will have to say when we went to Oklahoma, we went to a lake up there, and I it boggled my mind how sandy the bottom of that lake was, and you didn't even need water shoes. And around here, if you don't have something to protect your feet, you're going to be cut. Your feet are never going to be the same. It's so sharp and slippery and rocky. But if you live somewhere around Oklahoma, I... I admire how sandy 
that lake was. It was nice. Well, they, that's a side note. But we did find some really yeah. cool driftwood pieces there. Yeah. Out, out west, they have a lot more sandy soil. And they have mm-hmm. a lot of what they like to call red sand, which is it's basically sand and a bunch of red clay mixed together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a very sandy fluffy substrate basically Mm -hmm. but it also turns the water a really cool brown (laughs) yeah yeah and i know some people through just talking to people through the years of getting to know the community the best i can some people just don't like the look of tannins in the water and you will if you're collecting botanicals and driftwood pieces you're going to have some tannins in the water, but chances are if you're collecting it, I assume, in my mind, you don't mind tannins like me. And if you haven't experimented with this botanicals or things like that in your tank, I do recommend it because once I've tried it, it's, yes, the water is tea-colored, but everything does so well. The plans when we started our 55-gallon Amica Splendid tank at the time, I didn't have the Amica Splendids. I had the Carry Tetra in that tank. And I started it with dirt and leaf litter and driftwood and tons of plants. I say tons what I had at the time, which was 90% Vallisneria and a few other things. But during that time when that water was tannined, heavier, Everything just sprouted. It was just the fish were... I mean, they're still doing great. I still have them today. They're just, they just did fantastic. And it works really well when I have a sick fish. I don't have them often, but when I do and I have to make a hospital take, my go-to thing is almond leaves and a little bit of salt, depending on the issue, or some aloe in certain cases. But the overall theme is... The almond leaves, those tannins, they they work really well for an antibiotic, you know, for certain sick fish. I haven't had a lot of everything, but the few things I've experienced, I really like that method because when it comes to medicine, I tend to over-treat it (laughs) and do a little bit worse. So do what works for you and whatever issue you have. But for me, there's so many benefits to botanicals in your tank when it comes to driftwood and leaf litter that I just wish I would have known earlier. But I do know some people just don't like it, but I don't mind it. I feel like it's really beneficial. Well, on the topic of botanicals, that's Mm -hmm. another one that is so easy. If you like hiking and things like that, Mm -hmm. that isn't necessarily always around Mm -hmm. a river or a stream or creek. If you like hiking and being out in the woods, Mm-hmm. and you know anything about tree identification and things like that, that you can have a gold mine of wealth, yeah. at, I mean, literally at your feet. Our neighbor has a Missouri Catapa t- tree in their yard, and it's every time we have new neighbors, I go over there and I make friends because every fall I want a trash bag of... They're our version of the almond leaf, the West Indian almond leaf that's really popular in the hobby. Ours, I don't feel like it's as potent. It doesn't last quite as long, but it it works really well. And every we have a what is it in the front yard? A dwarf magnolia tree. Yep, dwarf magnolia. That when I have beta betas, 
Yep, the beta beta version. Particular leaves I really, really like. And then we have a a white is no. What's the other? The oak tree. A white oak. The one that always dirties up the pond. Oh, that's a pin oak. A pin oak. I know oak leaves. I've tried them. And I usually collect a trash bag full of whatever I can get, especially of those, those, and then I just keep them. And then I, I will tell you here in a second, I'm sure about what we do afterwards, but if you can find some and you like them in the fall time when they turn brown, get you a lot of them. Well, and this, the point of this whole episode is that there's a lot of things out there. If you're really into the hobby or you're getting into the hobby, but you're wanting to save a little bit of money. There's a lot of things yeah. that are you can do and have a tank set up that no one else is going to have. Yeah. You can get your own rocks. You can get your own driftwood. Use your own botanicals in there. There's a lot of things you can do. Even us with the rocks, we still have a few sandy beaches for sand, too. Yeah. There's a few. There's there's <laughs> lots of things you can do in the hobby to, if you're wanting to, quote unquote, be the cheapskate. Uh-huh. But at the same time, you're getting more involved in the hobby because you're you're thinking about every aspect and the layers through of what you're doing. Yeah. And trying to build a tank that's more like nature. Yeah. But I don't recommend boiling rocks. At all. Don't do that. No. Don't do that. No, don't but boil when, rocks. Don't boil But when it comes Rinse to rocks. <laughs> smaller driftwood pieces or leaf litter or some... I've tried... We have a lot of gumballs around here and they're like little one-inch sticky balls that are just awful to step on. But they seem to do really well in the tank. Just anything that's going to have tannins, that's going to leach that that, that you want to clean off... I usually will boil. For some reason, I do put a cap full of prime in there, but I don't feel like that's necessarily required because you're boiling. It's just going to probably boil off anyway. But just for the sake of honesty, I do boil my leaf litter, my driftwood, those botanicals, not rocks, just to get them cleaned off. Sometimes, well, I won't say sometimes. The point of it is to... That tannin that's going to get out is going to, it's not going to be as bad if you boil it first because you're going to boil a lot of that out, but it's still going to tan in your water. If yes, that makes to, sense. To a point, depending on mm-hmm. but even the that, species of what it is. That concentrate after you pull your pieces out, and I boil them for like 30 minutes, it's not that long. If I have to, I'll flip them over, but that residue that that's still in that pot, that concentrate, of tannins or whatever you want to call it, you can bottle that and put it in the refrigerator for like a week. And I know for the betas, the betas out there, that's what I used it for to experiment. But you can add like a cap full of that to the water because they, the ones I've kept in the past, they really enjoyed it. They did well with a darker water tank. So if that makes any sense at all, but I know the one time I didn't do that and I just tossed a piece of driftwood in my outside tubs. I didn't have any livestock in the tubs besides like snails, but the didn't to the eye look like it didn't have anything on it. But over time there was two leeches or I think they were leeches or 
they weren't loaches, they were leeches. Mm -hmm. But you don't, I don't want those in my tank. I just don't. So I got rid of them. But that's another perk of why you want to boil that is to make sure all that's, all that's free of things, pests that you don't necessarily want in your tank. Get it cleaned up and then I'll let it air dry in the sun and then I'll put it in a tank. Yeah. If it's leaves, if you can, if you have the time and patience, you can put them in, in between boards and press them. And just leave them alone for a few months and so they're nice and flat. And our shrimp, the Neo Caradina shrimp that we keep, love those leaves. Those Missouri Catapa leaves that we use. They will, they will nibble it down to just the skeleton of the leaf. They really enjoy it too. So there's all kinds of perks. Oh, like they'll shred it to the stem yeah, for and, sure. And I feel like the, even the leaf itself, the structure, it looks like an almond. It's kind of, it's a rounder shape. And I don't feel like they're as potent. I don't feel like they last as long, but they work really well. So instead of using one normal one, I, I'll use two of ours type of thing. Oh, yeah. The, mm -hmm. To reach the same goal. Mm -hmm. Exactly. But there's all kinds of, like I said, I used to think of wild collecting in the beginning when I first got introduced of just fish, just livestock, but... There's all kinds of things you can go out and collect that just make your tank look original, like you said, one of a kind. And you have all kinds of cool stories to tell of how you got that rock or that driftwood piece. Or on that trip, I got this and I found this on the beat. And it was it's just really cool. Well, yeah. If you have the time and are able to get out and go, mm -hmm. highly, highly encourage doing that. I mean, you could... The, the tank set up that you're going for, you don't have to worry about anyone else ever having that exact setup. You yeah. will never see it again. It is yours, unique, one of a kind, and you have the stories behind how you got to that point. Yeah, and even wild collecting. We have, like I said earlier, we have quite a few through the years wild caught fish. Currently, we have the mosquito fish, and we have some... uh pygmy sunfish that were wild caught not by us but from ryan at ryan's fish tanks that we got at one of the trips recently so we have we have had wild caught fish in the past and currently and sometimes it with the mosquito fish i feel like they do better outside they, yes they just do way better outside than inside so even if you go on a mission to collect this type of fish it's you might have to experiment a little bit on their environment when you get home to try to recreate what they came from the best you can. Yes, because our mosquito fish are they're very very hardy. Yes, they're, it, it's almost like a, they're basically, lack of a better term, a minnow. Yeah, they're a live bearing minnow. Yes, but things turned around like they did well, but once we realized they're. They're at the surface a lot. They hang out at the surface a lot. So once we gave them a little shallow place to hide out, to hang out, that's kind of... It looks like they're sunbathing. They're just relaxing in a very shallow spot. They started reproducing to a whole new level. But Th they enjoy them inside, no. They enjoy and need shallow surface water mm -hmm. with almost no movement. That is where you catch them in the wild... The stream will be moving really fast and they stay off to the side in like almost like an eddy pocket yeah. of still water and that's not very deep. That's yeah. only a couple inches deep. Yeah. Is all they they require. 
However, in the winter, when it gets cold, they go down they and they stay down. And that's mm-hmm. the only time that they yeah. need or want deeper water. Yeah. And with like those hog, hog mollies that we kept in the past, they remind me of, they look like little plecos. But they, we catch them at the spring or... I'm and sure they're in the exact they're, same family. Yeah, they're, they're, they're a catfish I'm, of some sort. I'm but sure they have an L that number probably. spring does have a pretty swift little flow that's really shallow. And we've kept them in a various different conditions here and there. And I just never, we've had them for some time, but it never worked out long term. Because I, I just couldn't give them what they needed to do well. To recreate that. Whereas the sunfish, the perch, the largemouth bass, they were really hardy. You just had to give them a lot of oxygen. And they were surprisingly so personable and really enjoyable. And they, like I said, they they didn't need very much things except food and oxygen. But they needed far more space than we could, could provide. And we thought we were doing well by moving them outside. But we have dogs. So... You you got to, even though you have plans to catch some livestock, some fish, everything works out and you can just keep in mind, sometimes they're hardy where they're at, but when you bring them inside and you, it might work out perfectly on paper, it, they might not be so hardy for a while to, because you're taking them out of the natural environment into an aquarium and sometimes it works out and sometimes it just doesn't. Yeah. So don't, the main thing is. Don't get disappointed and really either try to recreate where they were at Mm -hmm. or you're going to be doing a little bit of an experimentation Mm -hmm. on moving them around. Mm -hmm. And that's the whole thing with the wild collecting. The same with getting the driftwood. It may not fit in your tank. You might have to break it. You might have Mm -hmm. to cut it. You might have to do something different. And and the to be creative. Yes, and the same with the rocks. You'll get a rock. You're like, oh, this is going to look great. It could be too big. It could be too small. You might need more. Mm-hmm. It every, it goes on and on, mm-hmm. but it gets you really motivated and thinking. Mm-hmm. And another thing, I guess, that we can end on is kind of thinking is food. When we depending on what you you don't automatically assume when you bring them home they're just going to like flakes. Depending on what you catch, if you're not comfortable feeding live food in the beginning, I don't recommend certain things to be wild caught if you're not comfortable. Because sometimes they can be a little pesty. Sometimes they can be really easy. I have more luck with the bigger fish going to pellets first. But some of those fish that you want to keep that are literally fished, when you bring them home to keep them, they're used to having a particular diet. So be prepared that it's going to take sometimes some patience to get them on. Yes. Aquarium food. If you, if you are wanting to go down the rabbit hole of keeping more of a predatory type fish, mm-hmm. even a sunfish is a predatory type cichlid. Mm-hmm. So, and obviously a bass, everybody knows that, but nevertheless, you're going to have to do exactly what you're saying, Carrie, is wean them off of it. You're still going to have to give them live food in the beginning. And they, not they, all. Have ne- they have never known. I mean, you have to think of it from where I'm they came from. The they've perch. never, yeah, they've never the known not having live food. And you're going to bring them home and throw some flakes and mm-hmm. pellets in there. They're going to look at that and go, 
Mm-hmm. What's that? Some of them did not like it at first. Some of them didn't mind it. The pellets worked better than most. The bloodworms was a good kind of in between, but some of them just wanted small minnows no matter what. It seemed like forever. So just be aware of that. It's just something to think about that I didn't think about in the beginning. I was just excited, like, oh, look at the bucket full of fish. And I had not a clue what I was going to feed them, well, so and, I don't make that mistake. Well, and even on another good note about live food, uh-huh. let's go with the mosquito fish, for example. They're called this for a reason. Yes. They absolutely thrive and enjoy everything mosquito larva. Mosquitoes, yes. mosquito larva. They do. That that is that is their staple diet, uh-huh. and, and that is why they do so well outside it for us. Yes, we have a lot of mosquitoes, <laughs> and that that is the main thing. So uh-huh. keeping them inside is a detriment on them for us. To switch them to something else is so hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they definitely like that, and I know they're not wild caught for us but they're it's kind of a side note that kind of relates i guess like feeder fish i don't mind keeping what's typically known as feeder fish as just regular fish and i know that when i'm wanting to kind of fatten them up make them look better than the little puny like rosy red minnows that you find at the chain store that are like 11 cents and they just look awful. They look tremendously different. They don't even look like the same fish. And then once you keep them for a while, you, you get what they naturally, the more brown, they're not red. They're not that pink color. They're more of like, they just look like a minnow. They're just brown minnow. And treating them like the mosquito fish treating them like more of a wild caught fish keeping them outside year round in a larger they're not in the smaller tubs because that just they're too small but what we keep in the larger tubs i keep like they're wild caught and they do so much better oh absolutely that there's there's no doubt and mm-hmm. if you're the creative cheapskate like i am you get the rosy red minnows you're talking about. You can get them from the big box store, or you can get them by the pound at any of your local bait stores. Yeah, they have those bait stores. They, if you, I don't, I, I like keeping those type fish too. I don't, I like all fish, but I know they, if you can find a local bait shop versus what you get for 11 cents at the, around here. They they even well that you'll, is you'll better, get you'll is get better. a lot more of them, but and, they're probably and, wild caught with a big old net somewhere close to yeah, the bait shop. You, you'll get a lot more of them, and they're usually relatively healthier. And anyone that's ever is any sort of an outdoorsman, a good bait shop, they pour the air to them, and they treat their water. With they usually use a sea chem product because the water's a wonderful blue. Mm. They put they pour a massive amount of stress coat in there, and they just and they just and they aerate that water so well for them fish to stay alive. I don't know for, what they use, and I don't know if you know what they use, but they use something. <laughs> well, the last bait shop I was at, the water was 
a wonderful Sea Kim Blue. Usually blue in my head is Ick X. No. Or, but I don't know. Th- this was not, and they had a very large container of it sitting in the back. Oh, gotcha. Uh, because <laughs> I was, I was like, that's why it's blue. I, I was, yeah, there's some <laughs> stuff on the market that I just don't know about. For I just don't know. But is there anything you want to end on when it comes to the topic of wild collecting from our point of view? Wild collecting, in my point of view, saves you money, gets you more involved in the hobby. Mm-hmm. It's so and, fun. And a way to let your rest of your family enjoy the outdoors, even if they're not in the hobby. Yes. That sounds fantastic. It's just, it's one of my favorite things to do is go find some goodies outside by the river or the creek. It's just so fun. And if you haven't tried it, go. Go try it now because it's really fun. And like you said, you can escape your whole tank with things that you found outside. And then you've got the cool story to tell. Yeah. So go do it. Go, Go find some goodies outside and put them in a fish tank and enjoy it. Because it's fantastic. Yep. And we'll we'll take a deeper dive in on how we uh-huh. fix all that stuff up later. Yeah. But thank you again for listening to this topic about our experience on wild collecting. I hope it helps. And if you can, recommend this to a friend. But I don't hope it helps. I hope it inspires yes. you. Yes. That's a good way to think of it. Yeah. It inspires you to look at things a little bit differently and go, man, I can make this tank a lot cooler by just going for a walk down the street on this trail that we got in our neighborhood yeah. or whatever. it's true. Once you start everything, you start looking at everything in what you can put in a fish tank. <laughs> and it's great. But if you're watching this podcast and you're a member over at Science Gal Aquatics on YouTube and you want some of this awesome merch... Jesse's Sporting, if you can see this, our new podcast shirt that's going to be available very soon over at sciencegalaquatics.com. And if you're not a member, go be a member. It's really fun. You can watch this podcast and see all the tanks in the background. Yep. Come check me out and watch me ramble. Uh huh. But again, go check out sciencegalaquatics.com and the memberships on YouTube. And if you have already, Thanks for watching. Yep. Thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. Uh Until the next episode and dilemma. Bye. Bye.